There are a lot of transplants everywhere. If they just have the right intentions and heart and commitment, they can quickly become a part of your community. I don't think that there should be these walls. I'm all about building bridges. This is The Maker's Moment, a weekly podcast where we hold space for creativity. We share our stories so that we can learn from each other and use our experiences to challenge our often limiting beliefs. My name is Lee Schultes, and I know that in every person, there's an artist waiting to be rediscovered. We are here for makers in all of their moments. We know that it takes a healthy dose of community and a lot of play to get and stay creative. I am absolutely fangirling over my conversation with Cassandra. Cassandra is not only incredibly talented, I feel like she always has a new surprising project in the works. She's such a leader when it comes to being seen everywhere. Also incredibly down to earth. She's intelligent and intentional. We talked about some really juicy stuff from her take on cultural appreciation to how to build community and what it means to really be adaptable. I hope that you get so much out of this conversation because it was one that I truly enjoyed. How does TEDx even work? Because I know I've had a friend that was on it and I've heard about it and I've definitely listened to some of the recordings. I feel like before I thought it was more structured and it was like this big company that put these things together and then I learned that really anybody can put one together. So if you get to the point where you feel like you've talked to enough people that there's like this topic you want to discuss or an umbrella of knowledge that some of your speakers want to, you know, share with the community, you can organize your own TED Talk. It's been worldwide. And it's something that, you know, I've actually looked up just for different topics, because there's topics just all throughout, you know, I TEDx. learned about like social emotional <laughs> learning one There's day. There's a lot. You just Google it. And usually, if anything you Google, I feel like a TED talk naturally comes, comes up. up. Yeah. So the fact that I'm going to be a part of it is just awesome. Mind blowing. In Jacksonville, you know, I've had a lot of friends that were a part of it. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And so to have one and have it shared is going to be kind of cool. I don't want to think about it too much because then I might yeah, <laughs> get nervous about it. <laughs> I definitely had conceived kind of notion about it where I thought that it was, oh, you submit your dissertation or mm-hmm. whatever it is and that it's under review and then yeah. maybe you can get on stage for 10 minutes. Right. That's exciting. I didn't things we were just talking earlier about podcasting equipment and just I feel like people, mm-hmm. it's a lot more accessible nowadays to exercise your voice and to, mm-hmm. to take your seat at the table, which is exciting. Yeah. So your band Gypsy Me, how did that start? It was so random because when we met, I had no idea that he did music. I um, ask how you met. Yeah. Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I DM'd him and Good I had, for you. one, never online dated. Mm-hmm. Two, was just that week that I sent him the message. I was getting over a divorce and I was living at home. I was very uncomfortable and I was so upset at the thought of online dating. I'm like, I don't want to do this, mom. Like, I just can't. And that Did week, your mom push you to do it? She she knew. She's like, times have changed. You might have to. But maybe do <laughs> eHarmony because you have to pay and it's more serious. You have to do this whole questionnaire. So maybe it's more serious than like Match.com. So that week, I'm like, all right, mom, I'm going to 
like find an apartment. I'm going to exchange my car to something sportier and I'm going to join eHarmony and we'll see what happens. And his profile pops up on my Instagram. It's one of those where like when hashtags were becoming more popular, it says you might like. Mm -hmm. He was doing a job in Jacksonville because he wasn't even from there. And he shot all these amazing landscapes. And it just said, here's something, you know, you might like. So I'm looking through his stuff. And I'm like, I've been in Jacksonville for close to 24 years. I've never seen this guy. I've never seen his work. It's awesome. He's cute. So let me just send out this message. And I sent it out from my Arthropology page. Like you said, I don't share many pictures of myself. Mm -mm, That was the first thing I did when I got here. I was, all right, Cassandra, we need a photo of you. (laughs) He was like, you had all these group pictures and pictures of your work. I didn't know if you were a guy or a girl. I didn't know if you were just wanting to like sell my artwork or rip me off or something so it took him three days to reply to me just because I was like I love your composure or your composition and your colors and I love your work I'm really connected in the art scene so if you ever want to get into selling your artwork here in Jacksonville maybe we can meet for coffee and so he was like um (laughs) nice to meet you um sounds great sir (laughs) right (laughs) and so yeah it took several days and he was still in Jacksonville but by the time we realized when he realized I was a female, one, and two, that there was any sort of connection, he was already done. He was working another job in like Minnesota. So we spoke for three weeks before he was even down in Florida again. And he's like, next time I'm back home, I'll make it a point to go to Jacksonville and we can meet up. And I'm like, all right. So we kind of met the old fashioned way, like just correspondence on the phone and emails Mm -hmm. and text and then met in person. And then that's when we consider it our anniversary because it was when we met in person and we it met was game like, over. yeah it was like it was done and he online dated a ton so, <laughs> so he was a pro he knew he was like all right I'm not getting catfish she's not a serial killer that I know yeah. of yeah all right this is the one mm-hmm. and I'm someone where I'm an introverted yeah. artist and like and private like, and if private's the word yeah. I used to be a lot more private about my project if I was working on a painting or anything creative that kind of had that ugly stage in the beginning. It's like the first, what is that, mile 14 of the marathon? Yeah. It's like, don't look at it. I'm not done. I'm not close. Like, don't, don't look at it. He's kind of the first person that I almost brainstorm with because Mm -hmm. he understands the creative process or he understands that the project can grow into something even better if you are inspired by something and he'd seen so much more of the world and of the United States than I had that he's like oh you know I need to take you to Sedona or Albuquerque or wherever and I feel like your work would really grow from that or you know maybe use turquoise and reds because you know we just went here and you have a Native American background and it would be cool to see that come through in your work so that inspires the work many times or just places that he takes me to that I would never, ever imagine going to. Is that like the Nicaragua <laughs> trip? Was that your idea or his idea? That was kind of a combined thing, just budget wise. And mm-hmm. what can we see? You know, we're not rich by any means, but we do well enough to where we save and we say, okay, what can we do with this? And we stay flexible because we work for ourselves, which opens it up to a lot more. We have sites that we use that we'll just kind of check out that month, see what's within our budget. And that's worldwide. Nicaragua just kept popping up and he loves exploring the volcanoes and 
There's a lot of culture, there's a lot of art. So that was kind of a given. It was like, all right, let's both go here. We haven't been there ever. And he likes going to places that aren't touristy. There aren't a lot of travelers. There are a lot of vacationers and Instagrammers that go there simply for the photo Mm -hmm. opportunity. And I learned quickly with Mike when we would go to these amazing places or some that were Instagram popular. I'm like, I don't look like these people. Like they look so glamorous and they, you know, we're sweating, we're hiking to get here. And I don't look like these people. He's like, well, because we're doing it like for real. Like Mm -hmm. we're not here with a change of clothes in our backpack and makeup and to get that photo, we're here to experience it like the locals do and just happen to be in this place that is popular on Instagram. But the biggest thing and the important part for me when I share the photos and sometimes that's why it takes me months to post them Mm -hmm. is because I want people to see beyond the glamour it takes a lot of work to get there and that's the same thing with art you know you might go to a museum and see this 12 foot by eight foot painting that's gorgeous with gold leaf and texture. Then you look at the process and that artist was probably covered in probably doubt, sweat, and just questioning whether it's even worth it to get to that finish line. And it's the same thing with travel. And I've had friends that have reached out that want to go to some of the destinations that we've been to that look incredible. We help them. We create an itinerary for them and kind of show them where they need to go to get there. But I also explain it's not pretty. (laughs) There were times that I was on a bus with no AC, hanging my head out the window, just looking crazy dirty after the bus ride, carrying my bags and sweating and no AC, just really questioning what the heck I'm doing. But when you get to that final destination, you're like, man, I made it. You know, when we go and we see children that are fishing all day to then sell it and provide for their family or their creating artwork to sell to the tourists, their meal and their livelihood, like everything depends on selling those few pieces for a few bucks. And there's tourists that are trying to talk them down in price, because that's what you do there, right? They are surviving off of whatever little amount they make. It's tough to see, I would say, when we went to Asia, it was seven countries in Southeast Asia in five weeks. And most of the countries we went to were pretty poor. The poorest countries had the nicest, friendliest, happiest people. And that that's where I think, you know, we get lost because we encounter a lot of people from around the world on these trips that are on month to four month long vacations because that's how their their culture and their countries work. They work hard and then they are rewarded with these long vacation times to travel and see the world. And in the United States, we don't have that luxury. We work for five years to get 11 vacation days or plan our vacations around a three-day weekend and we're limited on where we can go and we don't want to travel far because it'll dip into our free time. When I met Mike and we started working for ourselves and we were able to travel for long periods of time, it made me, it definitely made me more humble And it makes you appreciate what you have much, much much more. And it also just kind of makes me realize why in this country we tend to be a lot more entitled and we tend to compare ourselves to what we see on the internet. So hopefully through what I share 
with my travels, it'll at least just kind of give some perspective into like that other world, maybe make somebody appreciate what they have a lot more and not be so down about things that people across the world would kill for. We used to stay in a lot of hostels and we just dress for the climate and what we're doing. And so we're not necessarily kind of surrounded by the luxury. Yeah, you're naturally (laughs) meeting people, right? We are. Community-based. Which I love. That's one of my favorite things Mm -hmm. is, you know, when we were in Nicaragua and we met another couple from Britain and, you know, you share stories and you learn about their everyday life and what they do and what they work hard for and what they look forward to. And we share what we do and that we're not necessarily living the typical life of working folks in the United States, but we do have the perspective. And as people who are taught to work the nine to five and retire at a certain age and then then travel, we're kind of... That American nightmare. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And I think that used to be me. I was going to ask because (laughs) I could definitely feel like when you were talking about working five years for 11 vacations days, I was like, okay, you have to ask her about that and being a flamenco dancer. (laughs) You haven't always had this life of Mm -mm. being self-employed. It seems like you've been there. Yeah. Obviously, you're taught to go through school and then you go to college and then you get married and you get the house and the car and the pet and you know and that weird two and a half foot picket fence that doesn't keep (laughs) your pets in but But it's 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 the path most traveled and I did that and my parents worked hard to give me that my parents unfortunately in the late 80s early 90s I'm aging myself uh, (laughs) they struggled financially because of the economy we were from south texas so i'm i was born in brownsville and i was there until i was eight and then they were forced to make the decision of where to go to start from scratch where were some opportunities that they could just kind of dive into and hope for a better life and they decided to go just south of tampa my mom decided to stay home and take care of me and my sister and my dad was the provider he worked his butt off just kept moving up in his job enough to provide what we needed and then it was you know make good grades and do your best and earn scholarships because we can't quite afford college so you know just Mm -hmm. We'll give you a car when you graduate if you get the grades and you get the scholarship. So I was constantly working toward that goal. You're going to work toward this because then it leads to this. And then once you're done with that, you're going to get a job and you're going to, you know, so I am fortunate and so grateful that they worked so hard. And I am glad that I got my degree and I got the job that I was getting a degree for. And I had a great partner at the time and we got married and we both worked for a newspaper and we worked odd hours, but we both did. And we both worked at the newspaper in Jacksonville. So I worked at the Florida Times Union doing graphic design and page layout. It was a lot of fun. Oh, that explains a lot with your, <laughs> yes. with your events. Yes, everything's always so pretty. So the, the first six years of my career was at a newspaper. And they knew I loved fine art. They challenged me all the time. I had an art studio in the newsroom and they would say, hey, we're doing this story. Like we'd have a brainstorming meeting 
with the reporters or whoever the writer was for a story, we're thinking about discussing stress. We're thinking about maybe making it look like an old painting, like the scream or, you know, something. We would just be bouncing ideas off of each other. And I'd be like, what if we make it out of clay? I would spend days creating a work of art for this story that would go on a cover or it was the coolest job. I think they wanted to challenge me (laughs) because then it was, okay, Christmas is coming. Could you make something that is just made out of silver and gold ribbon? Yes, I will do that. (laughs) Okay, we're doing this story on, you know, street life and and fashion. And I'm like, let me do something that looks like graffiti. And they're like, cool. So Mm -hmm. for six years, it was just... I wonder if they felt like they had to challenge that creative side of you too. You know, this is some feedback that I got personally in the corporate world, which is you are so creative. (laughs) If you just do this one thing for the rest of your life, you're going to be completely miserable. And so finding like creative outlets for people like that, because, you know, I can tell that you still talk about the job, you, your eyes light up and a big Mm -hmm. smile comes on your face. You really did enjoy it. Yeah. Which is really neat. It was something that I didn't, realize was going to be one of my favorite things in my career. I only left it because during that time frame, a lot of newspapers were closing. I mean, shutting their doors after over a century, just a time that things were changing. Media was changing. I survived two layoffs and a furlough. I was like, I I really don't want to have that stress of wondering, like, am I going to survive the next one? Right. Wow. So... I chose to take the leap and do something else before it forced me to. <laughs> so what was the first thing you did? The very first, I'm taking that leap. Was there a specific moment that led to that decision? Was there, I mean, was it just that idea of I'm not going to start over again, even though yeah. I'm building off my career? And then what was the first project you did? So. That's always fun. <laughs> <laughs> During that time at the newspaper, I was always doing research. I started painting again. I hadn't done, really done it since college. I was going through a divorce. We both worked at the newspaper. <laughs> it's one of those things where you realize that a chapter is closing. But that time in my life, multiple chapters were closing. So I sought out another job that I knew I could take on. But it was also diving into that 8.30 start to the day, which I had never done in my life. Fluorescent <laughs> fluorescent lights for 10 hours, and then maybe you get to go to the bathroom. So I kind of, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I was like, oh, man, I don't know how long this is going to last. I kind of knew it was a stepping stone. So I think that's the reason why I knew I was okay taking the leap, because I knew I wasn't going to just take this on and do it for decades or until I retired. This is the stepping stone. What can I learn from it? What is there involved with this job that I hadn't done before? And so I took on a job as an art director at a printing company. They needed a creative to design things from scratch for those who didn't have print ready pieces. Mm -hmm. So I got to work with clients one on one. And I got to learn more about inks and, you know, preparing things for press, which now pays off with the markets because I provide print ready materials. But I do feel like it's an advantage to have had that experience in the printing press. I started traveling a little bit more. I also discovered that I wanted to create jewelry. And it's funny because it came about because I was starting to go to Jaguar games. The jewelry out here for women going to NFL games is really gaudy or just costumey. I just wanted pieces 
dresses that I was proud of, but that just happened to be teal, black, and gold. So I started creating jewelry for the games and then people started wanting to purchase it and then I started looking at art walks downtown and setting up my little table. If I made a hundred bucks I'm like sweet. It wouldn't even cover my supplies (laughs) but in my head I'm like I made a hundred (laughs) bucks. What was the first earrings you ever sold? Funny enough I did not do earrings until oh, you much, didn't see there's an assumption yeah. later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I started with bracelet. I found different varieties of either glass or if there were any sort of faceted like shiny bead that I could use, but that I knew could stand the test of time. I just experimented with that. Bracelets were my thing. And it went from Jaguar colors to day of the dead i'm Mm -hmm. like oh man this is coming up it's not halloween like i I don't i want to go past halloween and dive into my mexican heritage and i love the sugar skulls and i Mm -hmm. love the jewels and the colors so i started making multi-strand bracelets with the skull beads and just really like something that reflected me and i think that's when i discovered that next opportunity was for my work to truly be a reflection of me instead of just this is for girls who want to go to a Jaguar game. <laughs> yeah, and what and what sells and that's mm-hmm. something that comes up a lot with artists and it was something that I've heard a lot of people say before, which is I create what sells. I don't necessarily create what I love. And so it sounds like from the beginning, you know, you had, okay, the Jaguar game, but then Mm -hmm. it seems like you made that jump almost seamlessly. Yeah, I think when you discover what you're passionate about, mix it with your talents, whether you make money or not in the beginning, I think you'll find a way to make it make money for you. Mm -hmm. Eventually, it takes a while. Nothing comes easy. And a lot of people that's that's another thing is nowadays, things are so fast and change so fast and are so accessible that you don't take the time to fail or to lose money. And many times it takes years of that before Mm -hmm. you really start figuring it out. I feel like coming from parents that had to work so hard my entire life, it taught me patience and the value of a dollar. My mom was just a magician with money. My dad was working to support four people and she was not working. There were times that we were struggling and I had no idea. My sister and I had no idea. She would get creative with sewing our clothes or um, having us create the ornaments for the tree, creating art for the walls because we couldn't afford the nicer Mm -hmm. things. She would find an incredible mirror that somebody left at the dumpster and create something that looked like she spent a thousand dollars on. My parents passed down that patience, being innovative without realizing it, I think. So well, I really love, like <laughs> even your plants out front, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's something that you clearly carry on. Mm-hmm. How did you get started with that? <laughs> so <laughs> you have to tell them about mine. You would be able to, to describe it better than I could. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's a, a Japanese ceramic vessel that I found at just a consignment shop. I know plants make me happy, but we kind of live in a place where we're going to die off at some point in the year and then you have to start over. In Florida, it's easier to just keep something alive all year round. Yeah, beautiful, (laughs) like 
tropicals everywhere. (laughs) But my my mom is like the queen of succulents and she propagates them so well. They look fake. Every time I go to her house, I just, they make me happy and caring for something and propagating it just kind of is meditational and brings me joy. Putting it into a vessel that somebody discarded or if somebody passed away, they didn't find the right hands and so it just goes into an estate sale. I find these beautiful, unique pieces, put the plant into it and it's just to me it's like giving it a new life I always say I'm trying to find somebody to adopt it because yeah (laughs) you have to care for it (laughs) I love that it's a piece that maybe somebody saw as trash and then combining it with something that has life and brings people joy and so it's kind of just a personal project I don't really make a lot of money off of it and many times the plants will end up dying because we'll travel or something in the winter and I don't you know I'm not gonna ask somebody can you take care of my plants for me (laughs) well I'll take care of your plants anytime (laughs) I've planted that before I always say plant sitting's the best gig yes I love that and it makes it makes things accessible and that's kind of a theme that has come up as we've been talking is accessibility and Mm -hmm. making art accessible you have this wonderful bracelet that Mm -hmm. maybe you're wearing to the Jags game Mm -hmm. but it's also art to you it's something meaningful and personal yeah you talk about honoring your culture and honoring your heritage but also expressing what you see from your travels and Mm -hmm. as you die into other people's cultures. What would you recommend for artists who are inspired by travel? We hear a lot about cultural appreciation versus appropriation. It's kind of a spicy topic, but it's one that you've been willing to dig in with me Mm -hmm. personally before. So if you're comfortable, I mean, I would love to hear more about your take on that from someone who does travel or who is possible minority background Mm -hmm. or a a minority background. I would say don't let fear hold you back. Don't concern yourself too much with what you think people might think of the work if it's a reflection of something that doesn't necessarily represent you personally. If you find um, in your travels or um, something you saw online that inspires you, to me, I think that's just an opportunity to explore. What is it sparking in you? Is it just the photography? Is it the the beadwork? If it sparks joy in you, I think it's worth exploring. And I think, especially in the United States, we're such a huge melting pot. I don't think we can necessarily fully 100% claim one thing or another. Mm-hmm. It's um, that whole nothing's new under the sun. It's kind of true. mentality. And I think that that is what makes you uniquely a champion of community. I mean, I see you when I think of champions of building community and connecting people. Mm-hmm. You are really one of those people who you're free flowing, but you have your boundaries, but you are always building. And I feel like mm-hmm. you're forging really solid connections. Thank you. And it really, yeah, of course. And it's through forging those relationships, right? And through mm-hmm. really just being like, I'm going to be a traveler not a tourist yes. and um, get my hands dirty, mm-hmm. but then also not be afraid, right? Right. Did you ever have times when you were afraid in your journey? How did you go from that artistic director to then the Cassandra that we know today? I'm sure there are a million little steps. There are. It's funny looking back, you don't realize what stage you're in or what chapter or is it about to close? Am I starting a new chapter? I feel like one of my words to describe myself is adaptable. And I didn't realize I was. I'm proud to say that I'm adaptable because I do feel like if my house were to burn down or if I were forced to move 
somewhere else or my calling was just something completely different. I feel like I have the strength to start from nothing and build something that I'm proud of that still represents me, but maybe that next version of me. There's certain things that I thought were going to be a part of my life that haven't presented themselves, at least not yet. And it used to make me sad or question, you know, what if this had happened differently? Or what if I had made different decisions? We can question that like all day long with our art, with our career, with our relationship. I definitely feel that having moved here without a plan really sparked the innovation, being open to whatever opportunities presented themselves. I never thought I was going to be singing in a music <laughs> duo or organizing artisan markets. Did he ask you about that or what? how did that happen? You know, the fact that Mike is a songwriter and just, you know, when he's pacing back and forth in the household to pick up the guitar and just strum it, it opened me up to that world in a different way. So he'd written songs. I wrote a response first for one of them, just not as a joke, but just like, hey, I think this is what the girl would say. Kind of. You're like, I keep hearing this thing over and over. (laughs) I'm going to talk back a little bit. Yeah, you're asking the same question over and over and over, and I'm going to repeat. And he said, oh, let's try it like this, because he's he's a harmony person. Mm -hmm. He always heard harmonies. He always hears harmonies to songs on the radio. He's so creative. I somehow was able to absorb the harmonies, remember them, and just kind of belt it out however he asked me to. And we were were starting to get really influenced by old country. I'm Mexican-Spanish. And Native American. From South Texas. (laughs) From South Texas. (laughs) They'll say, you know, obviously you're surrounded by cowboys. And and, like country was not a part of my life until much later. So listening to Johnny Cash and June Carter and finding that was really interesting for me. And I started experimenting with my voice and found a new voice and was able to also kind of mimic June Carter. We just rolled with it and when we met people in town it used to be the phoenix and the fox oh yeah the owners were like as soon as you're ready if you guys want to do a show feel free to tell us and we'll how book fun a show. it just landed you're like <laughs> but it happened so fast i yeah. didn't have time to think about it and i think that's that's kind of the key is not to let yourself overthink an opportunity that presents itself mm-hmm. there was a chance that i was going to absolutely flop and be like, I'm never doing this again. But I could at least say I tried. When we showed up, barely had 40 minutes of music to play. We had tons of people that we were working with, with real estate photography and people we'd met in town. They were all there. Just It was a strange but great feeling. I felt like we were developing new roots into this community. Now we're becoming part of the music scene. And you're willing to be vulnerable in front of the people that you're just building connections with, which Mm -hmm. I think is so important to really get raw and vulnerable and just be yourself. I feel like you're someone who's just kind of like seen everywhere. Is that ever exhausting to you? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If somebody loves what they're doing 110%. If you do it enough, there's a point where your body's calling for self-care. Yeah, because you're loving it 110%, right? Like you're automatically just so invested. Right. All the time. And that's with anything, being a mom, being, you know, a leader or a teacher, just whatever role, it is exhausting. I think what I've learned is to not feel guilty 
when I feel like I need to take care of myself. When I moved up to the mountains, I wasn't used to the seasons. And there were, you know, there's obviously the winter where you're indoors a lot more. And living up on the mountain, there's not a lot of sunlight that comes through. You get snowed in for two weeks. (laughs) That's a real gut punch there the first time. I was embracing it all, but I didn't realize until I went to a doctor a few years later, wondering why depression started creeping in because I'd never really dealt with a deep depression. Um, It was coming over me. I knew something was wrong. You would think they would have tested this prior, but they discovered that my vitamin D levels were just non-existent. They were in the red. You need vitamin D. Mm -hmm. We're going to give it to you pill form, but you need to get outside and adapt to your new surroundings. Find ways to get outside. I hadn't seen snow until I moved here. (laughs) (laughs) So I think my first winter here, I had moved from Texas (laughs) and I had ballet flats. I didn't own a pair of boots. I had ballet flats and I put Ingalls bags over my feet. (laughs) That's amazing. So cold and so sad, but I was gonna make it to work that day and Mm -hmm. I got some crazy looks. I don't think people understand, even if it's just a just a North Carolina snow, how um, just seasons in general can be right. so disruptive or so, you know, they can really just kind of throw you on your head. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's not as extreme as places further north. I, right. I, you know, you hear it all the time. Oh, you know, you're complaining. But well, that gets back to that comparing thing that we talked about, right, does. with our culture of it like does. an experience is an experience. And so if you're becoming clinically depressed because you're not outside, that's mm-hmm. valid, whether it's an inch of snow or 30 feet, I think. Right. And I think it's important to recognize things that are shifting mentally or health-wise, because had I waited longer, I could have just been more of a hermit and Mm -hmm. caused myself more harm by just hiding away. And um, so I'm I'm happy that I discovered that. And I also am happy to have a partner who has taken the time to learn more about me physically, um, he can tell when I'm getting too bogged down or they're really good at that. Yes. (laughs) I don't think a lot of people talk about good partners enough Mm -hmm. to where they're, you know, it's one of those things. Oh, what would I do without you is something I said a couple weeks ago and his response was panic. And I'm like, wait, no, (laughs) that wasn't what I wanted, but yeah, you're, and it's, you know, having a healthy partnership and, and someone who's really willing to dig deep and do the work with you is wonderful. So I love that, that that's something you really celebrate. And I didn't appreciate that much at first. I used to be like, Oh, I feel like I'm dating, you know, life coach, I want more empathy, you know, but when he recognizes what the problem is, or that, you know, you just need to take a walk outside and get away from the computer or whatever it is that's, you know, really stressing me out. Um, I appreciate that a lot more. And, you know, I don't live close to my family anymore where, you know, my mom probably would have encouraged me to take care of myself or take a break. Here, especially working for yourself, people tend to think that that's like a luxury. Oh, you're at home and you're setting your own schedule and oh, you take these long vacations. But when we're not on those vacations, we are working morning until late at night. People who are self-employed push themselves or they're able to push themselves so much further Mm -hmm. past burnout in some cases because there's literally no one there to say 
okay, you must stop now. You must go right. outside. You must, you Especially know. when we're both right. doing it. Mm-hmm. If I were working a nine to five and he was just working from home or the other way around, we would definitely create that stop time because mm-hmm. it's a like, little bit of hey, accountability like, there. Yeah. yeah. But since we both do it and we both are creatives and night owls, we tend to just burn out sometimes. It's just, it's one of those things that I feel comes with the territory and you have to learn how to handle it in a healthy way. Also being a Virgo and yeah. I've learned, like I'm not really into horoscopes deeply, but I have friends that have identified that I'm definitely a Virgo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I will, you know, I will claim the perfectionist uh, title and that is a lot of pressure. There's times where I'll speak to my mom and she's like, do you have a list right now? Because you're obviously, your gears are turning, everything's just swirling above your head and you can't focus. Just have that list. So no matter what, you're going to check one or two things off and feel like you've achieved something or been productive that day. Mm-hmm. And I think even in your darkest days, when I did go through depression, that list can even just be wash the dishes, take a shower, walk yeah. around the house, like even the most minuscule things. If you're checking it off of a list, personally, that helps me a lot when things mm-hmm. get to be too much. And it sounds like you have really clear community, like really close community that also helps you see yourself from the outside, right? Whether it's your mom t- reminding you about the list or, mm-hmm. you know, your fiance um, <laughs> reminding you, you know, just just get outside for a minute mm-hmm. and to be able to say, hey, this is the hard the hard time where you need to look in the mirror and see what you need and they're willing to hold that up for you. Yeah. What would you recommend to people who maybe don't have that? What was the first step that you took to really make a few connections to start to develop that community? Mm. So personally, community is definitely fellowship, whether you're a good communicator or introvert, extrovert. And I think that the biggest advice I can give is to recognize the strengths of your community that you're in and also recognizing the needs. Capitalize on that. How can I contribute to this community? I am considered a a transplant, but I claim this community as my own. I was in Jacksonville for 24 years. I claimed that community as my own. I think that when you're genuinely there to create a sense of community, it shows. If you're genuine, it shows. How do you show people that you care? Well, you care. Yeah. <laughs> like you recognize like here, Brevard is amazing. You know, obviously, you know, we have the mountains and we have the hiking and we have the waters. We have music and we have artists and I mean, it's really it's filled with so much talent and natural beauty and that's why so many people come here to vacation or camp or just to visit because you feel that energy when you live here and you recognize those strengths the next step is to recognize how you can contribute what does it need having performed here as a musician and also having taken part in events as an artisan I recognized the need for a safe space for the smaller artisans like us. There's a lot of festivals and there's a lot of things that happen here and around us and across the country, really. But unless you're really an established Mm -hmm. 
artist who has the budget to either travel or pay the the fees. But you also risk, if the weather's bad, losing even just to like seeing your business cards fly away. I mean, you paid for those Mm -hmm. business cards. And if your labels get ruined, because you're still handwriting your labels, like it's just heartbreaking, but you're there and you're sticking it out. And the smaller artisans, I feel, tend to really stick it out in extreme (laughs) conditions. I was just at Sourwood Festival in Black Mountain last weekend and I was there and it started lightning. I mean, lightning, downpour. I brought my car up, put everything in the car and one of my friends, she said, should should I go? And I said, it is lightning outside. I'm not staying. So I highly recommend, do you need help packing up? I said, if it, it's just really interesting. People, they want to do the right thing right. and they want to represent themselves properly and they're right. hungry for that opportunity. And even when I first got into like the maker space, it was not always a welcoming genuine right or right. hopeful place and right. it's wonderful to see that and you now have like sev- over 70 artists at yeah where are you going to be deer is it yeah so we are switching locations to deerwood reserve and it's co- it's sprawling i it's mean it's amazing. huge yeah and it's in town and it's beautiful because we have already established this relationship with the owners because they're starting out too they're just completing this event center and they're play- paying homage to the former owners of this land and this venue and where tons of people used to attend camp there. And it's just got this history and they're trying to keep that and honor it, but also evolve into something that is deeply rooted into the community. They want to host community events. They want to be a part of it. You can feel that heartbeat and you can, like, I just was eager to be a I part of it. I just got goosebumps. I love it. That's a good sign. <laughs> they, they're they great people. They're genuine. And they're not from here. They, too, are transplants. But there are a lot of transplants everywhere. If they just have the right intentions and heart and commitment, they can quickly become a part of your community. I don't think that there should be these walls. I'm all about building bridges. So some key takeaways from today. Number one, try being a traveler. It can really change your experience. The deepest, most meaningful experiences often come from a lot of work. It's not always pretty. Number two, the power of support and accepting help. We might not always get feedback that we like or that we're excited about, but it's important to surround ourselves with people who have our best interests in mind. And remember that the people in our corner are here to help us succeed. Number three, Adaptability is a superpower. It's proactive. You're not just reacting, you're also responding and you're learning as you rebuild. Number four, if you're inspired, go for it. Stop worrying about what other people are gonna think or say. If something relates to your story and your experience, create, that's what we're here to do. Number five, how to build community. Recognize strengths of the community around you and also assess the needs. Claim your community, focus on building bridges, and you might be surprised how much of an impact you can make. 